You're listening to the So What Podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I think when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I passed on to you, which was of first importance, the gospel that I received, Christ died and Christ was raised, right? So... Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Right. I mean, to add to that, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, that's not what he says. No, he says that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. On this episode, our cast of contributors discusses the sixth line in the Apostles' Creed, on the third day, he rose again. In the first of a two-part episode, the gang answers the question, what is the resurrection and why is the resurrection so crucial to Christianity? Does it need to be a literal, physical resurrection? Why can't it be allegorical? And how do we know that it actually happened in history? Before we head over to the discussion, again, we'd just like to thank you for listening to the So What podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes or on SoundCloud. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at sowitpodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episode can be submitted by emailing hello at sowitpodcast.com. You can also keep up with the latest and greatest news by following us on Twitter at sowit underscore podcast. Well, let's head over to our discussion. So guys, what what is the resurrection and why is it so crucial to the Christian faith? Well, if Jesus is dead, yeah. still there is no Christianity. Why not though? I mean, can't can it be like a set of good moral codes that we learned from a really nice rabbi 2000 years ago? Well, C.S. Lewis doesn't think so. No, what um, does he say? Right? So he says it's patronizing to Jesus to call him merely a good moral teacher. Right, because he comes along and he claims to be the son of God, um, claims to be inaugurating the kingdom of God. If he doesn't succeed in all that, he's not all that great of a moral teacher, is he? Because mm-hmm. he lays out all these claims that um, are demonstrated to be false. And um, when it comes down to the resurrection of Jesus in the Second Temple Jewish context, Jesus wasn't the first person to come along to claim to be the Jewish Messiah. And every good Second Temple Jew knew that if someone came along and claimed to be the Messiah— and ended up on a cross, then they were wrong about that. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' followers, after the crucifixion, go off and go back to their jobs, and they're sort of moping around, and they're not very excited because their hopes have been dashed, and clearly, you know, we thought he was the the Messiah. Evidently, based on the evidence of his crucifixion, he must not have been, um, because that's what happens to all false messiahs. So um, we'll just go back to doing what we do. So, So the death of the Messiah falsifies his claims to messiahship so if he's still dead he's not the messiah 
now that but 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 having been raised from the dead god has uh, declared him to be the one he said he was so so are you saying that would you go so far as to say that the cross is ineffective if it's not for the resurrection yeah the gospel isn't is incomplete without the resurrection of jesus mm-hmm. right and interestingly in first corinthians 15 this paul starts out the whole thing and he says uh passed on to you which was the first importance that um christ died for our sins and was raised on the third day and you know he's talked about the centrality of the cross earlier in first corinthians and how mm-hmm. that's just you know centerpiece of the gospel and in first corinthians 15 that's about the last you hear of it Mm-hmm. And the rest of the chapter, he's talking about the resurrection. And so, so he's expounded the crucifixion part of the gospel earlier in the letter. And now in chapter 15, he's talking about the gospel, but he doesn't say very much about the cross. The whole thing is about the resurrection. So, yeah, I mean, I think when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I passed on to you, which was of first importance, the gospel that I received, Christ died and Christ was raised. Right. So. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Right. I mean, to add to that, Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, that's not what he no, says. No, he says that God raised him from yeah. the dead. You will be saved. Right. <laughs> and and you get in, in Romans 1, you know, the gospel of God's son descended from David and raised from the dead, basically, mm-hmm. is what he, the, the, where he points out lordship and resurrection mm-hmm. are the two key elements there. Um, now, so, I mean, at, at one level, you could even say that the the climax of Paul's gospel is the resurrection. Now that raises the question, well, why did he need to be raised? And the answer is, well, he was crucified. And why did he need to be crucified as a atoning sacrifice? And he deals with all of that. But you know, if you don't have the resurrection, there's no reason to do any, have anything else. Sure. Yeah, I was going to say in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul talks about the mystery of godliness. And uh, he says, he, being Christ, was manifested in the flesh, and he was vindicated going back to something Matt said, which he was declared righteous by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in one world, taken up in glory. And here the phrase was vindicated refers to the Spirit's work in Jesus' resurrection. And I I agree wholeheartedly that uh, the resurrection means a lot of things. Uh, It is the means of our atonement. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant going and, and by his wounds we are healed and it pleased the Lord to crush him. So we could talk about uh, penal substitutionary atonement. We talk about a lot of different aspects, but now when we talk about the resurrection, the resurrection was a lot of things. And number one, it was um, the beginning of his appointment and exaltation as the Son of God in power. Romans one four, like you were talking about, uh, he was raised uh, and declared to be the Son of God in power, appointed to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit by his resurrection, uh, from the means of his resurrection. It was also his vindication, proof that what the sign that authenticated Jesus' entire ministry, never mind the fact, uh, what does Voss call it? The de facto declaration of God that Christ was innocent. Um, overturning the ruling of the courts. Sort overturning, of yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he annulled the sentence of his condemnation, which is, is a helpful thought as well. Uh, and then I had an interesting thought. When we were in Daniel, we talked about Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, in my research packet on that, I talked about how this wasn't an execution of Daniel, but it was an ordeal, which is an ancient practice of determining guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even see it in the Salem witch trials where they would, so if a woman was suspected, of, it's not funny, but I can't help it a little it's bit. It's the, the lunacy behind it's it. It's the lunacy behind it. If a comical, woman was yeah. accused of being a witch, they would tie a huge stone to her and throw her in the water 
And if she's floated, she was a witch. <laughs> the problem is, if she's innocent, she's also dead. So it's, uh, and so in a way, uh, with Daniel on the lines, then it was an ordeal to see whether or not he was guilty. If he was spared from what would seem a logical conclusion, the lions, hungry lions are going to eat him. And the fact that he was not proved that he was innocent. If it was an execution, it wouldn't have mattered that he was alive in the morning. He would have stayed in there forever till the lions ate him. Mm-hmm. But then, upon his uh, being pulled out, the men who accused him and their families are thrown in, and they're instantly eaten. And so, though the courts condemned Christ, and the crucifixion was the means of his execution, in a way it served also as an ordeal, in that though it took his life, he was resurrected from the dead. And that's tying, it's uh, dovetailing with the, the vindication aspect. It proves his innocence, uh, that which... Caesar did not want to take his blood on his uh, Caesar Pontius Pilate. He washed his hands of his blood, wanted to claim that he was innocent, and so his resurrection proves that he was. Yeah. So, the, it, I mean, I, I was going to say, I just think there's a certain element too that we have to remember is it, it, it's not just the vindication of his earlier ministry, but it shows his power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that death couldn't couldn't hold him, but that um, by his perfect life, you know he he's. I mean, to bring in Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, we think about Aslan on the stone. And, you know, the girls are there, you know, weeping over his dead body. The mice come, start chewing off his ropes, and the next thing they know, the stone's cracked and Aslan's, you know, awake again. And I think the resurrection, it just demonstrates God's power over sin and over, over death, and it's victory um, more than anything. Yeah, that's an important point because so often at funerals, we'll read a couple passages from 1 Corinthians 15, about mm-hmm. the resurrection, and then we go spend 20 minutes talking about how this person's in heaven with Jesus and never mention the resurrection again. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, to one degree, then, we've sort of made a friend with death. We have, I think N.T. Wright says we've colluded with death, and um, it's sort of become an ally. And it's okay, they're in a better place, they've gone home, sure. you know, all those kinds of things. And um, the problem with that is, uh, again, to quote Wright, to say someone has died and gone to heaven is still saying they're dead. Right, they've still been subjected to the wages of sin. Mm. They've not yet been rescued fully and finally from from the wages of sin, as death as the wages of sin. And so, one of the things in my own experience and research uh, of spending a lot of time reflecting on and and working on the resurrection is, I have come to see death more clearly as enemy. So, death is always enemy. The last enemy yet to be conquered. Yeah, that's First Corinthians 15. Mm. Death is always an enemy for two creatures made in the image of the God who is a, who is the living one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we need to recover that. And and as I, after I preached that funeral, I, I was kind of thinking, because my grandfather's had some extra emotion tied up in it. And, um, you know, at, at one level, I was thinking of the sermon almost as, sort of resistance speech, if that's a genre. Hmm. Yeah, right? no, yeah, I see what you're Where saying. We're yeah. sort of declaring mm-hmm. um, in the face of the tyrant, mm-hmm. we will not submit to you, right? This body, this one, you know, this box will come unhinged mm-hmm. and the grave will come open and this body will rise imperishable and incorruptible and your days are numbered, tyrant. Yeah. And I think a solid, rigorous, robust theology of the resurrection of Jesus and connecting that with the resurrection of all believers um, is essential for a full, fully Christian hope. Let's, let's go there. Mm-hmm. The resurrection of all believers. All uh, right. So Calvin talking about, we keep referencing First Corinthians 15. That is a major text when we come to the resurrection. 
And Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from that, we're still in our sins. There's no forgiveness of sins, so he's the means of our atonement. But the fact that he was resurrected, we said, is his vindication that he was innocent. And Calvin has this discourse on 1 Corinthians 15, the ending, especially verses like 54 through 58, and uh, where Paul quotes, uh, he says, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So this taunt over death. And then the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And so Calvin goes through that when it comes to Christ, and he says uh, Christ died because he took on the sins of the world, but in the grave, the grave cannot hold him because the power of the sin is the law, and he was blameless according to the law. Mm-hmm. So death could not keep him in the grave. It had no law to accuse him. That's Satan's power to hold. And so he says uh, death had to give him up, and he conquers it. And so, too, if we share in that resurrection, if, like Paul says, if let's go negate his logic. If Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. Mm-hmm. So if he is raised, we're forgiven of our sins if we believe in the son so we can share in a resurrection like his so so the point we're making is that christ's resurrection inaugurates the beginning of a universal resurrection yeah so colossians 118 he's the firstborn of the dead right the first fruits of the resurrection firstborn among many brothers later Mm -hmm. on in romans Mm -hmm. i just wanted to point out the the adam christ connection and i I mean i don't know about you guys i I affirm uh, what theologians have historically called a covenant of works which in Genesis, you know, uh, two and three, we, we kind of see spelled out more clearly when God commands Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, you know, the story where Adam and Eve are, are tempted by the serpent and given to sin and eat from that tree. And as a result, the promised punishment was death. And um, rather than letting Adam and Eve take from the other tree in the garden, the tree of life, God banishes them from it. And so through his life, Jesus secures the right for us to eat from that tree of life, and and therefore, you know, is sort of the the antitype to what uh, Adam was as a person who should have remained faithful to God and and kept His uh, commands. You know, Jesus perfectly fulfills the law and secures the right for all those who are covenantally joined to Him to eat from the tree of life that that was initially spoken of in the early parts of Genesis. So we in, in Romans 5, you know, Paul makes that really explicit and talks about, you know, death coming in through one man. But um, then there at the end, of, uh, the end of chapter 5, he says that, you know, a sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, so I think what we're talking about there is that grand sweep of redemptive history that, mm-hmm. that begins mm-hmm. with God's initial interaction with mankind is fulfilled in Christ. Yeah, I mean, he spells it out in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, doesn't he? For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So he's he's doing that comparison and that contrast of the first and the last Adam, where the first Adam degenerated us. As Dave, you're fond of saying, the regeneration means to regenesis, is to put us back into that state where, where, the, where the first Adam degenerated us in Christ, the, the last Adam regenerates us because of this resurrection. There's a, another aspect of the resurrection that we've not talked about. The fact that Jesus is the just one who's been vindicated and proved innocent by his resurrection. There's also a New Testament movement that ties his resurrection with his appointment to be the eschatological judge, the one who will pass final judgment. So preach, preaching to the Gentile Cornelius, Peter said, God raised him on the third day uh, ellipsis, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Uh, that's in Acts 10. 
And then also in uh, Paul's sermon at to the Athenians at the Areopagus, he said, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So there's this link between Christ's resurrection and the fact that he is judge. And G.K. Bill, I think, is helpful where he says the logic appears to presuppose that Christ's resurrection has demonstrated him to be just and therefore the one who will exercise justice at the final judgment. He is the one, the apex of all righteousness who can then bestow. He has Mm. the right to bestow uh, the verdict on all mankind. So shifting the conversation a little bit here, uh, the resurrection, it's foundational to the Christian faith. It demonstrates the power, the authority, and the innocence of Christ, the Um, the finality of the sacrificial atonement that Christ gave and the acceptance of that atonement by the Father. It announces a future general resurrection where all people will be resurrected, regardless of if you're a believer or not, for a final judgment. This seems like it's a linchpin or cornerstone to the Christian faith. What if it didn't happen? I mean, how do we know it happened, right? Because Paul's not making an argument here appealing to theology or philosophy. Every time you see Paul's a discussion about the resurrection. He's saying it's a literal event. This happened in history. Go talk to the 500 people that he appeared to. Go talk to some of the brothers who saw and witnessed the post-resurrection Christ. He's grounding this in history. We're 2,000 years removed. How can we possibly follow in that footstep? Is it possible? Well, at one level, we have to depend on the testimony of the first generation of Mm -hmm. witnesses, right? And that's what Paul does, right? So if he wants to argue for the resurrection of Jesus, he sort of court courtroom style calls on his witnesses. That's and presumably right. those folks are still alive and the Corinthians could, you know, write him a letter and say, mm-hmm. hey, so, you know, did this really happen kind of thing? Um, so initially, I mean, think about the first 20, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. There are plenty of folks around who could falsify this. Mm-hmm. They said, I saw it, but I didn't really. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so it's not successfully falsified early on. Additionally, if you look at the gospel accounts, there is no sense in which in which they look sort of uh, con- concocted, mm-hmm. right? And what I mean by that is, well, in one gospel, two women show up at the tomb, and in another gospel, only one. You know, why would you have that contradiction? Right. If yeah. it were if it were a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you, deal, wouldn't you deal? Wouldn't you? They'd be of, in lockstep yeah, agreement. Right. Question, question further: If you were going to concoct a story where Paul appeals to male witnesses, right, five hundred yeah. men, yeah. Yeah. would you have the first witnesses be women? That was the next thing on my list, actually. Yeah. Um, so the first apostles of the resurrection, the first evangelists, the first preachers of the resurrection were a couple of women. Mm-hmm. Um, Unheard of at that time. Absolutely, yeah, they would I have mean, been thrown out of court. Right. So yeah. that's the sort of thing that is a, a mark against the story it's a reason for in the first century world that the first witnesses are women is a mark is a reason to be skeptical of. Mm-hmm. and so if you were just making this up that's not how you would tell it right which suggests that there's historical accuracy there mm-hmm. generally when i have this type of discussion um, with a skeptic i like to go to three facts that are typically universally agreed upon that's one of them you, you're talking about the tomb being found three days later Uh, The one before that is the fact that Jesus died under Pilate and that he was buried in a tomb. Um, No one doesn't believe that, right? There's a great quote from Bart Ehrman, uh, no friend to evangelical Christianity. Uh, He's a New Testament scholar out of, what is it? North Carolina. North Carolina, Carolina. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he wrote in a book called Did Jesus Exist? Uh, speaking of mythicists, despite the enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree. Jesus was a Jewish man known to be a preacher and a teacher who was crucified in Jerusalem when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. Even though this is the view of nearly every trained scholar on the planet, it is not the view of a group of writers who are usually labeled and often label themselves mythicists. And so right there, the, 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 the fact that we have at least those two first historically verified facts, that Jesus did in fact die under Pontius Pilate, he was buried in a tomb, and then was, the tomb was empty. Nobody disagrees with that. What they disagree on is, well, how is the tomb empty? Right. And I think that's where, going back to the earlier point of how do Second Temple Jewish people respond to crucified Messiah wannabes? Yeah. They don't usually go steal the body. No. They mm -hmm. don't usually say, well, we had a communal hallucination mm -hmm. and we saw him, he appeared to us, and now we think he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. You know, that's not the testimony of the church about the resurrection of Jesus is atypical. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not the normal way that first century Jews or second temple Jews respond to uh, a crucified Messiah. Mm -hmm. if, if, he's, if the Messiah was crucified, he's not the Messiah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so. Did you explain why? I Deuteronomy. Did. I think it. I didn't go to Deuteronomy. Curses. Right. Yeah, Cur you can take that. Yeah, yeah just right. you know, the law says, "Curses the man yeah. who is hung up upon a tree." Yeah, and it's just flat out hard to liberate the people if you're dead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> makes yeah. the task a lot, lot yeah. more difficult. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be um, God's anointed rescuer. You know, you're not going to be able to run the pagans out of the temple if if you're, um, you know, in a tomb. Yeah. And the and the, the other thing that I think people forget is the fact that the Christian church exists today is yeah. evidence of the resurrection, yeah. right? Yeah, certainly. You mentioned earlier that um there were people that 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 could have squashed it. There, it wasn't just people, right? It was yeah. the highest religious authority in the land, yeah. well-funded, well-organized, and then the government of the world. These two entities uh had a had a big motivation to squash this movement, and yet it didn't happen. Yeah, they tried. They tried. And then you have other things like James. So he becomes head of the church in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus's brother. Uh, I mean, if you have a brother, would you worship him as God unless he died and came back from the dead? Right. It, yeah. it, there, there are some things that it, you might. No, I was going to say it would make more sense <laughs> if it was to your advantage, like they monetarily. Sure, yeah. If you had position and power, not to be persecuted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not the road that they took. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, right. So, so they affirmed all these things under threat of death. Yeah, know, all of them. All, all of them. Yeah, not not the one guy yeah. at the very last minute broke and said, "Never right. mind, we Sorry, were just it was kidding." All a lie. <laughs> I think Tom Wright is as says is the one who says the best explanation for the rise of Christianity is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. It's it's just historically inexplicable without that. So what? Why does the resurrection matter? It must be said that the importance of Christ's resurrection from death cannot go understated. It is, after all, the central tenet to the Christian faith. The resurrection displays the power and authority and innocence of Christ to the world, declaring God's victory over his enemy. It is a bold declaration that not only was the sacrifice of Christ sufficient for sin's defeat, but that the Father was pleased with its sufficiency. 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, the whole Christian faith becomes pointless. Because if Christ is not resurrected, then Christianity's promises of redemption from sin becomes not only empty, but it becomes a lie. As Paul says, if the tomb was not emptied, then we, of all people, are most to be pitied. Well, we hope you join us next time as we continue our discussion on resurrection and what it means for us as Christians to live our life looking backward to Christ's resurrection as a sign or first fruit of a future general resurrection for universal judgment. The So What Podcast is a production of the people of Mars Hill. For more information, visit pomh.org.